Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to John chapter 12. As I mentioned last week, we're going to take a short hiatus from our journey through uh, 1 Samuel as we focus in on the resurrection and its implications. Uh, today we're going to look at the crucifixion uh, and uh, one gospel writer's perspective on that. Uh, next week we will, deal, we will do the, uh, uh, the Passover Seder. We'll go through the whole uh, thing as we did last year. Uh, we'll be participating children, women, men, and um, doing that in light of the Lord's Supper, which we will also be taking um, in connection with that. And then obviously the week after that we'll be celebrating the resurrection and looking at what Christ accomplished in that great moment. One of the things that, um, one, of the, one of the aspects of my journey of faith over the years has been, uh, was a time when I really didn't have any purpose. I was a believer. I knew what was expected of me as a Christian, and I, for the most part, faithfully did that. Um, but I really didn't sense any importance to it. I really didn't sense any significance to it. It wasn't something that that really moved me. wasn't really something that excited me. It was something I was supposed to do, so therefore it was something I did. Um, that is how I had been raised, and that's how I was expected to behave. And so that's how I behaved. I did what I was supposed to do. And so I would hear a preacher preach, and and... Their sermon would be good and, and whatever, but I never really felt like it uh, applied to me. It didn't really feel like it was relevant. didn't really feel like it was significant because I had no place to direct what they had said. The instruction I had heard from them, the guidance I had heard from, from them or from reading a book or whatever had no direction for it. And therefore, it just kind of rested there my heart, my soul. We need purpose. We need to have a place we're going. One of my, my favorite uh, books, one of my favorite uh, movies uh, is Alice in Wonderland. And there's an exchange between her and the Cheshire Cat that um, I think really highlights, emphasizes what I have to say here. Alice is there, and she meets the cat. Says, She says, would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it really doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. If you don't really care where you're going, if you don't really care what your purpose is, or you don't know what your purpose is, you, you haven't identified that, you haven't bought into that, then you can go any number of directions and you're going to what? You're going to get the same results. You're going to have the same outcome, which is failure, which is, is meaningless, which is frustration. For some of us, we think our purpose is simply comfort or joy or something along those lines. But Charles Kingsley puts it this way, we act as though comfort and luxury were the chief requirements of life, 
when all we need to make us really happy is something to be enthusiastic about. I've seen work days pass quite quickly because I was doing something during that work day that I was enthusiastic about. I wanted to see how it was going to end up. I wanted to see where it was going. I've experienced that that rush, that 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 quick passage of time that, that happens when I'm doing something that in other circumstances had been a drudgery or a difficulty, but I'm doing it this time with an enthusiasm about where it's all headed, and so therefore it's worth it. John, in his gospel, reveals to us our purpose. He reveals to us our purpose in connection with the cross and in by looking at Jesus' relationship to the cross. And John has a different portrayal, has a different take on Jesus' relationship to the cross than the other three gospel writers. It's not contradictory. It's just a different angle that he's looking at the situation from. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke look at the cross as uh, as a, a curse, look at it as, a, as as something evil or wicked or something that that is is uh, a difficulty. John really portrays the cross for Christ as his purpose, as his goal, as his glory. And I want us to see that this morning as we look here in in John chapter twelve, beginning in verse twenty seven. It says. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, we believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid them himself from them. Jesus starts out this exchange really with, with almost a sarcastic tone. Now is my soul troubled? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, I can't say that. I can't say that because it was for this purpose that I've come to this hour. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Just a, a little bit before, Jesus had, had said the hour had, had not yet come. But in verse 23, he now says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's also interesting that, that John 
notes in this particular context back in verse 20 that in the midst of the crowd are a group of Greeks, Gentiles. Normally Jesus' interactions contain, uh, for the most part, just the Jews. But in this particular interaction, in this particular engagement, the Greeks are there, the Gentiles are there as well. Why? Because what Jesus has to say, or what Jesus has to disclose about his purpose has to do with the entire world. And so it all culminates there in verse 27 when Jesus says, I have come for this purpose, to glorify the Father's that's why I'm here. Glorification of the Son, Jesus would say, only happens in connection with glorification of the Father. It's not a selfish or, or self-centered thing. It's not a look at me reality. It is a look at the Father truth. God says, I have glorified it before. I'll glorify it again. All of these passages, all of these expressions reflect Jesus' purpose. They reflect Jesus' purpose as being what? To glorify the Father. And if we are to be little Christians, if we are to be little Christ, if we are to follow in his footsteps, that has to be our purpose as well, to glorify the Father in what we do. Now, what do I mean by that? What, what, what do I mean by the phrase to glorify the Father? Simply what we mean by glorifying the Father is that it is the public expression of His holiness and His greatness. Our purpose is to show how God is different. That's what holiness means, to be different, to be distinct. How is our God different than all the other gods that mankind has created themselves? How is our God different than our own wishes and desires, our own foibles and mistakes and, and things that we get caught up in? How is our God different than any other path of life or any other purpose of life that we may pursue? And how is our God great? I think a big part of the reason the world has rejected the Christian message is because we've given them nothing to look at that expresses greatness or excitement. We haven't revealed to them how marvelous and magnificent our God is. Now, to seek God's glory, to seek the glorification of the Father, is to, is to begin to, to understand our purpose. And it's to begin to, to find a means and a way by which we can take the things we hear in the pulpit, things that we hear in the songs that we sing, things that we hear in our classes, things that we hear in our workplace, things that we hear in our relationships and, and conversations, and to find a direction to push that information. As I interact with people, the end result of my interaction with people should not be for them to disclose at the end of a conversation, oh, what a nice guy that was. 
I should be so living and so expressing who God is and who I am that they should be wondering, what is it that makes that person so different? Because there's something there that's even beyond niceness. There's something there that's even beyond kindness. There's something there that's even beyond what I see in other people. But having the purpose of glorifying the Father as our, our direction, as our guidepost, it helps us in our own life as well to, to be able to, to move forward. The glorification of the Father illuminates our path. It shows us what direction we need to go. Now, how does it do that? We see it here in, in Jesus' disclosure how it does that. First of all, it gives us clarity of action. It helps us to understand what our action should be. What shall I say? It, it, it's, it, it's a note that, that almost is... Ultimate, it, it expresses the ultimate ridiculousness of that statement. Now we know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays that very thing. Father, save me from this hour. Which gives us a, a highlight, gives us an emphasis that, that just because we have a, a clarity of what we should do does not mean that, that we sometimes won't struggle with it. That it still won't come back to sometimes um, rear its head. Jesus didn't sin in requesting that because in the midst of that request is what? Nevertheless, your will, but not mine be done. But the distinction between the two helps us to see that, that although Jesus understood the way and, and, and had clarity here, that doesn't mean it's always easy to do. And as a Christian, to have clarity about our next step, to have, to have clarity about our next process, doesn't mean it's always easy to do that. Here, Jesus is, is facing the trauma of the cross, and he's looking at it intensely and honestly, but not with regret. Why? Because he knows there's a purpose. He knows there's an outcome that he's excited about, the redemption of mankind. And as we think about the things that we face, the traumas we face, the difficulties, the, the persecutions, the hardships, we look at it intensely. We look at it honestly. We, we recognize the difficulty, but we don't look at it with regret that we have to go through it. Why? Because we know there's a greater purpose on the other side of it, God being glorified will what? Will bring transformation to this world. John in chapter 21 gives us a, another insight into uh, this reality, focused this time on his fellow apostle Peter. 
he says, this is uh, Jesus at the closure of his exchange with Peter about, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He says in verse 18, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belts and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Peter, you're going to die. You're going to be led to a martyr's death. And then this is what John writes as his observation about this in verse 19. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would, would what? Would glorify God. This is the kind of death Peter would glorify God. And then the very next words Jesus speaks are, follow me. The same words he started with all those many, those couple years before. Follow me, Peter. I'll make you a fisher of men. Now here we are again. Peter, you're going to die. Follow me. This is your purpose. This is why you were brought here, to glorify God. So we understand what we have to do. We understand when the when the preacher talks. We understand when when the person offers us wisdom or direction. We understand what we're to do with that. Why? Because we know where it fits into our purpose. And here's a here's a word of wisdom in that: if something is directing you and guiding you, and it doesn't fit in that purpose, don't do it. If you're being led or you're being driven by your own personal emotion, your own personal desire to do something that does not bring glory to God, stop it. Our purpose is Him. Secondly, glorifying the Father illuminates our path by giving us assurance of the appropriateness of our actions. God says what? I have glorified it in the past. I will glorify it again. What's interesting about this particular exchange is it's the only use of the voice of God in the Gospel of John. We know in the synoptics that there were other times that he spoke, Jesus' baptism and so forth, but this is the only place that you hear the voice of God in the Gospel of John. I have glorified it. The life and work that you've lived here on this earth has glorified me, and I will glorify it again in the death and the resurrection. This is confirmation to the audience that what Jesus was saying was, in fact, what God desired. And I love it that Jesus says, what? This was for your sake, not mine. I already knew what I'm doing. I already knew where this was all headed. I already knew why I came. I already knew what I was going to do. I already knew what the next steps were. I already knew where this path was leading. But just so that you all would know, the Father has spoken this. The illumination of our path also brings us victory where it's most needed. 
Jesus interestingly talks about the ruler of this world and the judgment on this world. And he makes that statement that now my translation I think kind of tries to fix it here. It says now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The actual actual language there is more definitive. It's not as if, okay, now the next step is this. What Jesus says here is that this has already happened. It's what's called the prophetic perfect. Prophets do it quite often. Jesus does it quite often. Where he speaks about something with the surety that it has already occurred. Even though it's a future event, even though it lies ahead of us, it has already occurred. John 3.18, when he's talking about salvation to Nicodemus, he says what? Those who do not believe are what? They're condemned already. It's already occurred. And so with this confidence and with this surety, with this clarity of his next steps, he's saying what? The purpose I've come for is going to happen. I'm so sure of it. I'm telling you right now, it's as if it's already occurred. And in our own lives, in our own experience, in our own journey, we need to understand that God is already there ahead of us in the journey that we're walking, in the path that we're pursuing. And he will see us through it. It may not happen in the way we see it, but it will happen to his glory if we are pursuing that purpose. And that's what ultimately matters. And then the illumination that God brings gives blessing in and of itself. If I be lifted up, but I'll, leave, I'll draw all men to myself. There is no one beyond Christ's reach. There is no one, no matter how sinful, how fallen, how broken, how ruined you believe you are or someone around you is, there is no one beyond Christ's reach. He is the answer. He is the way. Second thing we need to understand about pursuing things for God's glory is that when we seek to replace God's truth with our own truths, we lose our direction. The crowd here uh, almost becomes Peter in the sense that they're, they're, they're ready to correct Jesus. They understand from his words, they understand from what he has disclosed that what Jesus is saying here is that the Messiah is going to die. And they say, what? We tell you, or we know, everyone here knows that the Christ, the Messiah, remains forever. How can you say he's going to die? And if you're saying this, who is this? 
that's going to die. What sort of Messiah seeks glory through death? Now, they're not quoting any particular scripture. They're quoting the traditions that had developed in their culture and in their mindset, drawing together a whole bunch of different passages. What sort of Messiah would seek glory through death? And Jesus says, the one who brings light. And it's in these words here in verse 35 that we see our attention drawn all the way back to the very beginning, to John chapter 1, where he says what? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The cross will lay bare the sins of the world. The cross will manifest, express, highlight and emphasize the darkness of the world in which we live. Physically, that will take place with, with the skies becoming dark. Spiritually, that will take place with, with the, the, the cry of dereliction and the, the other expressions of, of grief that Jesus goes through. But it's in that moment of darkness that Christ is most glorified because it's in that moment of darkness that he, he declares, it is finished. The light has overcome the darkness. I have done the task I was sent for. I have accomplished the goal that God has given me. It is finished. I have won. The battle's already over. We don't have to wait for three days to see the outcome here. I'm telling you right now, it's done. That's the glory of the cross. The shameful, awful, evil way to dispose of someone, to, to kill someone, has now become a marker of life and light and joy and peace. Why? Because of the one who died on it, who was lifted up and draws all men to himself. That's what the cross accomplished. That's how God is glorified in it because that was the purpose for which Christ came and he accomplished it, he finished it. I find it interesting that the way this passage ends is, is what? That Jesus walked away and hid himself from them. What an odd way to finish this exchange. I've just told you I've come to bring victory. The victory is sealed. The victory will be revealed. The victory is here. This is the purpose for which I came. This is the purpose for which the Father sent me. This is the purpose for which I live. And now I'm going to go hide. Why? Because with these words, the public revelation is complete. There's nothing more to add. 
the only other word about his purpose that is necessary at this point is the actual carrying out of it on the cross. There's nothing more to say. And in our own life and experience, so often we as Christians, we get so wrapped up in defending ourselves with our words, with our excuses, with our, with our explanations of, of how this is going to play out or what we have planned or, well, this is where this is all headed. We, we, we make all of these, these programs and these situations and all these, these expressions of ourselves, and we need to at some time, at some point in the process, to shut up and do it. Do what God has called us to do. Live the way God has called us to live. Communicate what God has called us to communicate in our actions, and not just words or excuses or plans of how it's all going to happen. This time of year is a perfect time to share our faith. Because everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's thinking about it. People who don't go to church, who have never been to church, are thinking about the resurrection over the next couple weeks. They're seeing news stories. They're seeing little things. Even even the the, the secular stuff out there that, that doesn't point to Jesus at all, it still reminds them that there's something else there. Their minds are on it. Your mind is on it. Bring the two together. Share with clarity what Christ has done and the purpose he's given to your life to glorify the Father by how? By having a public expression of his holiness and his greatness. That's where we started. That's all sharing our faith is. That's all it is. How great is my God? If you can't tell somebody how great your God is, then you got a problem. You need to be introduced to the God of Scripture. Because there's no way you can read these words, read these stories, look into the events that have happened in, in this book, and in your own life as a true believer, and not understand how great, massive, and awesome God is. And that's all you have to share. He's worth it. He's worth it. And his invitation to purpose is the same invitation he gave his, his son. Go Glorify me. Make me known. Are we going to be faithful? Will we be able to say, even in our life, it's finished. I fought the fight. I ran the race. I completed the course. Because I knew where I was running and I knew what purpose I was out there for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you.
Thank you for the clarity of purpose. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the life that he provides. I thank you for each person here. God, I pray that as we enter into the season of reflection and rejoicing over the resurrection, that we use this opportunity, this opportunity you give us every year to speak to hearts, to minds, the people who know something's going on. They may not know all what's going on, but they know something's going on. God, help us to speak to that something. Help us to speak into the emptiness and the hurt and the loss that so many people are walking around with and in right now. Help us to live with purpose, God. And I pray this morning, First, if there's anyone here who doesn't have that purpose, who's never experienced the salvation, the, the transformation, God, that you would draw them, they would respond, and they would see that the purpose of their life is to be lived in you. But God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who, who may be where I was, who don't really understand the purpose for everything that we're doing. They're just doing what they're doing because that's what you do. God, help us to, to pursue the purpose of glorifying you and, and so doing, plug everything that we are, everything that we're doing, everything that we pursue into that purpose, into that goal. Lord, let us see your power at work, your glory, your majesty at work in our lives as we communicate who you are. God, reveal your power in magnificent ways beyond our imagination. Pray for a revival in our city, in our county. Lord, we pray that it starts right here with us. Christ's name I pray.